Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. First reading comes from Matthew. If you are able, please stand as we listen now. To Matthew 16, 21 through 28. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life, or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again, those who are able are invited to stand out of respect to God's living word. Our second lesson picks up right where we left off with our first lesson, a kind of a hinge point in the Gospel of Matthew, where the first part of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been revealing uh, who He is. And now Jesus is beginning to explain to His disciples what He must do. And so with that in mind, let us hear the second lesson as God's Word speaks to our lives today. Six days later, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and His brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them and His face shone like the sun and His clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came up and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We've heard announcements from Nathan. I have a couple of more that I want to make. We have welcomed those that are worshiping through our television ministry and our live stream. And I am told that there is a weekly worshiper at the Waterford in Deer Park, Texas. And so I want to send out greetings to that individual who happens to have the same last name as my wife's maiden name. But we're working on starting a satellite church in Deer Park, Texas at the Waterford. The, uh, the second piece of news is extending our Christian sympathies, our resurrection condolences to Fred Kaiserman upon the death of his wife Charlotte. Uh, very unexpected, she was diagnosed about two weeks ago with triple negative breast cancer, a very horrible and aggressive type of cancer that spread. And uh, Charlotte died last evening at hospice. And our prayers go out to Fred, uh, Charlotte's wife of 50, or husband of 51 years. And um, our condolences to Fred and to the family. And um, as details of that service are uh, available to us, we'll, we'll pass it on. I understand uh, from Fred that uh, her burial will actually be in Tennessee at a family plot, but there will be a visitation here in Columbus. And then the other thing uh, that I want to, uh, to highlight and announce is that we have uh, someone who's come home today. Um, Edna Hamilton is here, and uh, we cannot uh, let you come and worship with us without acknowledging your presence because you and your dear husband, Myron, uh, are so important still in the life of our church, and we love you, and it's great to see you here. I'm glad that uh, you brought your daughter and son-in-law down from uh, the Charlotte area, and uh, it's just a joy to have you back here at First Presbyterian. Welcome. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, this is a, a holy day. This is your day, and we give ourselves to you in it, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit you will open our eyes and our ears that we would hear and see what it is that you are showing us today and in the days to come that uh, with this deeper understanding and, and firmer resolve we might be your faithful people uh, in the world and for your glory and for our good and the good of all your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The sermon title this morning is Stop, Look, and Listen. This is a three-word phrase that we teach to preschoolers, really, who are learning about safety before crossing the street. But these three words did not originate with crossing the street. It actually originated with crossing uh, at railroad uh, signals. When railroad travel became more popular in the United States, uh, there seemed to be a lot of carnage that was caused at the places where roads and railroad lines intersected. People were not used to having trains and cars uh, pass across the same shared pathways, and 
As I say, there was a lot of death and carnage, and so the railroad companies put out uh, the word, we want, we want a catchphrase, we want something to educate the population to, to pay attention and to be safe at these crossings. And so what they came up with was stop, look, listen. And we now apply it to uh, our children. Uh, actually, the phrase worked and saved a lot of lives. Uh, those words still work for children and for us when we cross the street. And what I want to propose today is that those words will work for us uh, as we are on our spiritual journeys. And today, by our scripture and by God's word, are being asked to stop and to look and to listen. In a sense, that's what the season of Lent in which we find ourselves, and uh, as we continue to go through this story and find ourselves in the New Testament now, following the life of Jesus in the season of Lent, Lent is a disruption in our regular order of things. It's part of the Christian calendar. It causes us to be disrupted, to get out of the rut, and to think about uh, our relationship with God, uh, ourselves and others, in a, a, a different way. The disciplines of Lent cause us to take notice, to pay attention, whether that be a, a rededicated uh, discipline of prayer and Bible reading, uh, some type of a fast or a sacrificial giving up of something, whether it be shopping or TV or Diet Coke. And also part of this Lenten uh, cycle is, is the, the idea of almsgiving, of giving sacrificial gifts out of a grateful heart. And we're encouraging you to do that through the global mission offering that we're still receiving during the season of Lent and will for the next two Sundays as we approach our $40,000 goal. Thank you for giving, and thank you for continuing to give gratefully for these important causes in this season of Lent. Lent makes us look at things differently. Worship also does that uh, on a weekly basis. On the seventh day, or really the first day of the week, we are asked to stop what we do Monday through Saturday and, and to come to the house of God to be in a different place, whether it's the chapel, whether it's the fellowship hall, whether it's this beautiful sanctuary, to come into a sanctuary, a safe place, a holy place, a sacred place, to see people that we may not see during the week, to do things that, that we may not typically do during the week, to hear things that we may not typically hear during the week, to use something of a different vocabulary of sorts as we hear scripture, we hear prayers, we hear gorgeous anthems played. We come here and we also have a different diet, maybe, than what we typically have during the week. And so worship is that opportunity for us to, uh, to stop, to look, to listen, to pay attention in a different way, to listen to what it is that God is saying to us about who God is and who God calls us to be. Here we are reoriented, we are grounded so that we might be redirected to be resent out into the world to be God's people for one more week. Worship is a time out, a time away, a respite, a change of play, pace. It's, it's also kind of like uh, taking a hike, if you've ever done that, or maybe it's part of your uh, growing up, or maybe it's, it's part of your, your life today, but, but, but stopping what you're doing to go off into the woods 
where you pay attention to the trees and the flowers that maybe you don't see typically, to listen to the bird song that you aren't always aware of, to watch where your foot falls because of the rocks and the ruts and the way that you're traveling. And these paths often take us to a different place, a different vista, where we see the world in a slightly different way, where we have eyes to reorient us to the world and ears that hear in a different way what is going on around us. Thinking of this reminds me of a story, uh, a true story that actually happened on January 12th at 7.51 a.m. in the L'Enfant Plaza, which is part of the commuter system of Washington, D.C. It goes down into the subway system and their violin virtuoso, Joshua Bell, dressed as a common street musician, played for 45 minutes at the top of that indoor escalator system. An artist who commands more than $1,000 a minute for his performances played six classical masterpieces on his $3.5 million Stradivari-designed 18th century instrument. More than a thousand commuters hurried past Joshua Bell on that morning, and only a few gave him a passing glance. One recognized him from a concert that she had seen the night before at the Library of Congress, and a grand total of $32.17 were tossed into his open violin case. In the presence of greatness, virtually no one recognized or honored him as arguably the best violinist in the world. Joshua Bell was part of an experiment that it was being sponsored by the Washington Post to study how context affects the way people respond to a person or to an event. In other words, how does what I'm looking for affect what I actually see? Three days before, Bell had sold out Boston Stately Symphony Hall at $100 a ticket people paid for a pretty good seat. The concertgoers had been expecting a spectacular artist, and they were duly rewarded. Indeed, every other time Joshua Bell plays his violin, people, in, people are astounded at his talent. But the busy, chilly commuters on that January morning, coming upon a violinist in jeans and a ball cap, playing for spare change, allowed their observations to take the path of least resistance. And as a result, they saw what they expected to see. Nothing really noteworthy. In the scripture we read this morning from the 17th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, tells us that Jesus calls aside three of his closest, Peter, James, and John, and they take a little hike. They go up on a mountain. And mountains in Matthew's gospel, we need to understand, are important places. Matthew is that writer of the gospels that is primarily writing to a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience would know that mountains are important in their own history. We can see throughout the Old Testament the importance of mountains and what takes place there. We can think about Noah building the ark on a mountain 
and it landing on, an, on a mountain after the flood. We can think of Abraham being called to sacrifice his only son Isaac on a mountain. We can think of Moses who was called to encounter God and to receive from God the Ten Commandments. Where? On a mountain. So in Matthew's Gospel, whenever you see a mountain, you better be paying attention. Matthew is waving his arms and saying, stop, look, listen. We think about what has already transpired in the Gospel. During the temptation of Jesus, Satan took Jesus up on a mountain. Last week, we talked about the Beatitudes, and Jesus went up on a mountain to teach. And so here we are with Jesus going on a hike with his three friends up a mountain. And here is what happens on top of the mountain. It's something that we know in Bible speak as the transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John experience a spiritual high and they get a heavenly view of Jesus. Cosmic white clothes, his face shining like the sun. They see Jesus like they have never seen him before and will not see him again until after the resurrection. In a sense, God is pulling back the curtain to allow a sneak peek of what is to come. And this would not have happened just anywhere. Jesus had to get these three friends of his out of the valley, out of the rut, into a place where they would pay attention. To fully grasp the importance of this event in the life of Jesus, Jesus calls aside Peter, James, and John to stop, to look, to listen. And we need to remember as we think about what happened with these three disciples, another mountaintop experience that has very particular similarities to what occurs in our text today. Centuries before, it was Moses who went up on Mount Sinai for an encounter with God. And in the same way that the text this morning said, after six days, on the seventh day, that Jesus took Peter, James, and John, it was after six days of preparation that Moses went up to encounter the Creator God to experience a taste of God's glory. Pastor and writer Tim Keller says that this mountain experience, though, of thinking of Moses is, and, and this experience with Jesus is not Mount Sinai Part 2. Here, he says, is a head-snapping twist in the story. He points out that, yes, Moses' face, after encountering God, was shining. But Moses was reflecting the glory of God much in the same way that the moon reflects the light of the sun. But Jesus here is producing the light. It emanates from him like he is the sun. He is the glory of God. Jesus does not point to the glory of God like Elijah and Moses and other great prophets were called to do and did. But rather, Jesus is the glory of God in human form. In the letter to the Hebrews, the writer puts it this way, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory in the exact rep representation 
of His being. The exact representation in His being is God's glory. This is who Jesus is. And, and only when we have trained eyes and stop and look long enough are we able to see it. Keller says the transformation is not some cheap uh, parlor trick to convince the disciples that Jesus is divine. Instead, it is so much more than that. It is an invitation to experience for themselves what they are starting to grasp might be true about Jesus. Instead of believing in the presence of God through Jesus, now they are starting to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. To see Him as He is. The glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. To look and to actually see. But looking and seeing is not enough. As the text goes on to say, there is a voice that speaks. This is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. And the introduction and the instruction here is not just to look upon Jesus, but to listen to Jesus. The goal of the experience is not just to be impressed by Jesus or to be intimidated by Jesus, but the point here is to obey Jesus, to listen to what He says, and to do it. And what is Jesus saying? What Jesus is saying to his disciples and saying to us, to follow me means that you will follow me through suffering because I will suffer. It means to follow me to death because I will be put to death. But I will be raised on the third day. You have nothing to fear. And those who are willing to lose their life for my sake will save it. And those who lose their lives are the ones who will indeed find it. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. And the scene continues that as they look again now after a cloud has enveloped them, they see only Jesus alone. Everything goes to black, the scene fades, and all they have left is Jesus. And Matthew is saying, don't miss this and don't forget this. And it's one thing for the disciples to experience Jesus in this way on the mountain of transfiguration. To be exposed to the glory of Jesus. But there, there is another mountain that is coming in this story as we follow. It's the mountain upon which Jesus will be crucified. A hill called Golgotha. The place of the skull. But the temptation for us, like the temptation for Peter, is to stay on this mountain. Let's build tabernacles, booths for you, Jesus, to bask in the glow of this spiritual high. Let's just stay up here on this mountaintop. Avoid going into the valley. Avoid going back to life. Avoid going back into service in your name. But we know that earthly life is not all heavenly bliss. And we cannot forever move from mountaintop to mountaintop and try to stay in a spiritual high. But Jesus is inviting His disciples and invites us to come down from the mountain and to journey with Him to Jerusalem. For yes, Jesus will go up on another mountain upon which He will be crucified. And His invitation is to follow. 
to follow him to that suffering, and yes, even in the suffering, to see the glory of God. To see the Messiah not as the one who came here to avoid death, but to go through death. The one who came to show us there are no shortcuts around the cross. And so let us, on our journey, not be like those commuters on that chilly morning in January in Washington, D.C., and not be looking, not be listening. For as we gaze upon the cross, by God's grace, we are able to see there the suffering and the glory of God. There we are able to see the sacrifice and the satisfaction of God. There we are able to see the surrender and the victory of God when we see with eyes of faith. For there we are shown a God who loves us so much He is willing to die for us. We see more than just a naked man. We see there the promised radiance of a risen King that is promised to us. So here, we are told and reminded that we will see what we expect to see. What is it? that we will see today? Will it be nothing particularly noteworthy, some bread and a cup? Or will it be for us the very body and blood of Christ with Jesus as the host at this table? And as we stop and as we look with eyes of faith, will we hear with ears of courage and gratitude Jesus say to us, come to me. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you in the forgiveness of your sins. Come, eat, drink. Come, taste and see for yourselves the glory of God. May it be so for us as we come to the table by His invitation today. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we thank You for this foretaste of the kingdom. Your kingdom that has come, Your kingdom that is coming, and Your kingdom that will come. As we eat and drink, may our eyes be open to see You in all of Your glory, to understand what it is You have done for us and, our, and for our salvation, and that as we take this, this new diet, this, this cup, this bread, that we would be fed and strengthened to continue our earthly way as your people, to go back out into the world, to live in the valley, and to serve you for your glory and for Christ's sake. It would be our joy to do so, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.